Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. And we are going to uh, connect here in uh, the second part of a series that we've just simply called Unstuck. And with that, um, I know it's so easy in life to just kind of go through life and find yourself in a place you did not intend to be and honestly feel kind of stuck there, feel like you kind of got trapped there and you can't move forward from there. And we've been looking at this concept that knowing that God loves us helps us to go to him even when we're stuck. And there's a passage of scripture we're, we're about to get into that is, is vital for us to understand. Because so many times when we feel stuck, we can kind of feel like, man, we need to pull away from God. I got myself in a bind. I got myself in an ugly place. And we don't feel like we can go to God the way that we need to. And our mindset makes a difference. Now, having seven kids, then we, okay, mainly Cutie has handled this part of life. But um, I've, I've had my, my role on this at times. But, um, you know, at some point, you know, parents want the raise that comes with potty training. <laughs> Diapers are expensive. And I don't even want to think about the amount of money that with seven kids we have spent on diapers through the years. But man, I tell you what, as a parent, you just can't wait. I mean, there's like extra date money. There's extra all kinds of money if that kid will use the potty. And so it is a, it is a win for on all fronts. And so as we were going through and potty training, um, when we were potty training, uh, Weston, who's now away at Bible College right now, so this was quite a few years ago, um, and then with the, the little boys, you get an opportunity to do, some, to do some potty training tricks. And boys are a little more stubborn. I, I don't know what's the deal with it. Boys are like, if they're like intent on doing something and playing, they will just wet all over themselves, not care, and just keep going. And so I'm so thankful that at some point we learn because guys would, I'm guaranteed, they would just get into watching a movie and, or playing a video game and just be a mess. And so, thankfully, moms don't tolerate that and change the course of male lives forever. And so, but little boys can be a little, a little tougher to deal with on that front. And anyway, so we had, we had heard this trick that if you, you know, uh, tell a little boy, you know, he can go out and, you know, water the tree, you know, go outside and, and, and use the restroom outside, that it was exciting. So we're like, okay, we're going to use this trick on Weston. He's been a little bit of a hard head on this. So we was like, okay, Weston. So we'd take him out into the backyard and he would, you know, it, that, that was fun. So we, we'd go in the backyard. It's our backyard. It had a fence. <laughs> and, uh, and so, anyway, so we get into this routine, and it's working. It's working. He's, like, conscious. He recognizes that he needs to go, and, and he's, and so, but what was so funny is that we find him jumping up and down at the back door, saying, I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta go, as he's jumping up and down at the back door. There was the bathroom right there next to him, right beside him. But he was so ingrained on his initial training that he had to go outside 
So, so we opened the back door and let him out, you know, like a, like a good little doggy. <laughs> Apparently we didn't. Apparently we made him use the toilet. I like the idea that we let him out. Sometimes we still have to let Weston out. And so, anyways, but his mindset was just wired one way, and there was another option right there. And he was so drilled in on one thing he could not see that he wasn't as stuck as he thought he was. He wasn't as stuck. He wasn't in such an emergency as he thought he was. And the truth is, is you and I, we find ourselves in those places all the time. And the, the word tells us that, that God will make us make a way out. He will, he will help us to, to navigate any tough, sticky situation that we deal with in life. But we've got to be willing to go to him. Let's look at Hebrews 4 again. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In our time of need. That we can go to Him when we feel the most stuck and we will find mercy and grace in our time of need. See, we often get stuck because we don't take the time to just sit and listen. So many times we think that our brains get going and, and we feel like everything's just kind of out of control. And I tell you what, as soon as you get stuck, man, as soon as you get stuck, all you want to do is just double down and try harder. And just push harder and push harder and push harder. Any guy that sits there and <clears throat> does a little off-roading, he begins to, to feel the tires slip. Well, what does he do? He begins to... Sit there, and he'll try to give it more gas. Give it more gas. Maybe I'll just push my way out of this thing. Push my way out of this thing. But that's not the real solution out of this. Let's go ahead and look at Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they came to a village where a woman named Martha, opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. So Martha opens her home, her sister Mary is there, and Mary is sitting at the Lord's feet, at Jesus' feet, listening to what he had to say. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself. How many times whenever we hit a place where we feel like we're stuck, when we, we feel like everything's kind of landed in our lap, that everything has just kind of come on our shoulders, that the first thing we think is, is, Lord, don't you care? Don't you even care? That's why it's so important that we have to know that he does care and he is for us. Because so many times we will default to that. Well, if God really cared, well, I wouldn't have got stuck to begin with. I wouldn't have been in this place 
to begin with. I wouldn't have this need in my life to begin with if God really cared. And that will immediately come in and begin to question, question God caring. And then as soon as that, we begin to do the thing that she did next. And begins to now tell Jesus to be able to give her the solution to the problem she thinks she has. She says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Lord, I need you to control my family members. There's a lot of stress and there's a lot of stuff going on. And Lord, if you will just control these relatives of mine, life will be a lot better. Lord, I need you to yank their chain right now. How many prayer requests have gone up in this room? <laughs> Over somebody being frustrated about a family member, a spouse, and saying, Lord, I need you to fix them right now. So many times we think the other person is the problem. Mary's not pulling her weight, Jesus. Mary is just sitting there listening to you. And I'm over here trying to make you some lunch. The real ministry is what I'm going to pour out to Jesus. Not what Jesus is pouring out to others. All of a sudden, we begin to get things off perspective. We begin to get things out of line. And then we begin to ask God to begin to do things that's not even on his agenda to do. To answer this prayer request and to say for him to come in and to tell his sister, her sister to, to begin to go work and start make the sandwiches. Jesus does not tell the women, go make the sandwiches. Everybody needs to hear that. <laughs> Jesus is pro-woman. Jesus is, is, is was a feminist before his time. Jesus is pro-woman. Now I've messed my notes up. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. He had to call her name two times. Just chill out, lady. Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. Everybody's like, yeah, I didn't take a profit to see that. <laughs> but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. There's only one thing that was needed. All the other stuff that she was such in a twist about, all the other things that she, that she was so worried about were, was not necessary. There were, there were better things. In fact, there was, there was one thing that was needed, and Mary was already doing it. Mary had hit the rest button, had sat down at the feet of Jesus, and had opened her ears and was listening Sometimes we need to just quiet ourselves and listen to him. Psalm 46.10 says, says, be still and know that I am God. Be still 
we've got a, in our community, we have a, an Emmaus walk coming up. If you're not familiar with the Emmaus movement, it's a, um, it's a ecumenical, multiple churches, multiple denominations get together, and they have these retreats for, for men and for, for women. And there, I've been a part of one. I'm on the, the, the board locally, and I very much encourage you. If somebody taps your shoulder and asks you to, to be a part of one, as your pastor, I say, do it. Take the time off and, and make opportunity to do it. And so many times we have these people, these grown adults, who've not had a, an experience where some time has been set aside for God. And you get away and you get apart and you take three days and, and, you, and you just shut everything down. And, and there's, there's no cell phones and there's, there's no internet and there's no other, all of this stuff. And you just set aside some time. And I'm telling you, it is amazing what happens when you just be still and know that he's God. When you just be still and you shut out all the noise and all the have-tos and all the stuff and just hear the voice that had been talking to you the whole time. And people talk about, oh, how rich and wonderful the Emmaus thing is. It is. I'm pro it. I'm a part of it. I'm on the board. But you know what? It can happen any day of the week. You don't have to have somebody tap you on the shoulder and send you away. If you'll just be still and take some moment, you can have your own little moment with God any day of the week. You dial in. John 16 verse 12 says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. And he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. The Holy Spirit is speaking. That's the Holy Spirit's role. Jesus was there with his disciples speaking face to face. And there was things he couldn't tell them because they couldn't handle it. But the Holy Spirit is going to begin to speak whenever the Holy Spirit was sent. The Holy Spirit is speaking in our lives all the time. But look, we can get stuck by thinking we got, know God's next move. Martha thought she knew what she was supposed to be doing and missed it. But then there would be times you'd begin to actually begin to get a little bit spiritual. Martha was just worried about the daily duties. But then you can get plugged in and you can actually miss it trying to be too spiritual on things. Let's look at an encounter that Jesus had with some of his disciples. Let's look at Matthew 17. It says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and he led them up on a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. So he's, he's initially, he's walking with them with his normal Jesus body. But there on this mountain, he gets his heavenly glorified form. He's transfigured. He's not the normal fleshy Jesus. He is the, the transfigured, glorified Jesus. And there he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as, <clears throat> as the light. And just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. 
Now, the, to these Jewish guys that are with Jesus right there, you couldn't have a better trio up there. Jesus, who is their, their, their rabbi, their teacher, the one who's leading them and guiding them. You have Moses and you have Elijah. This is just like a total amazing moment for them. And he's there talking to Jesus. And Peter says to Jesus. So he, they've just been invited. The three of them are talking. You know what Peter should have been doing? Listening. Jesus, glorified, is having a conversation with Moses and Elijah. And Peter ought to just be taking it in. But he decides to interrupt. They're talking. And he decides to interrupt. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. And it didn't take a prophet to recognize that one either. If you wish, then I will put up three shelters. Once again, all of this ministry to you. I'm going to put up these shelters for you, Jesus. I'm going to build these, these buildings. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Peter was taken up on that mountain for one thing. To be with Jesus and to listen. And he missed his assignment. He saw this, had this amazing encounter. It's like, well, this is what I need to do with it. We need to build these tabernacles. We need to build these buildings. We need to build this and tell everybody about this amazing moment that we just had. He's like, no, just be there and listen to him. Matthew 17, 9, just a little bit later on as they're coming down. It says, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. He wouldn't even let them talk about it until Jesus had been, had been raised from the dead. He had one thing to do up there. Just be there and to take it in and to listen. And Peter begins to hijack that moment because he thinks he knows what the next step is you and I tend to do that we'll get busy in our daily lives and miss our God moment that's right there in our own home but then we can also be busy in our in some place where we recognize that something spiritual and something wonderful and some something awesome is happening and then decide we know what needs to go next Instead of letting God lead us. Folks, we can get stuck in the routine of the day in and day out in the humdrum. And we can get stuck in a routine of trying to work for God and work for God and take, do the next move and do all those different things. We can get stuck in both places. And sometimes we just need to pause. To pause. Now, there's a word that shows up in Psalms and in Habakkuk, which is in, actually shows up in the Psalm of Habakkuk, which is in the middle of the little minor prophet book of Habakkuk. 
And so because this word only shows up in Psalms and nobody actually knows what this word means. There's great debate on it. Most of us know it, the word selah, to mean pause. And there's a lot of people who say that, that what it, that's what it means. But we don't really know what the word selah means. It's not used in, in any kind of sentence. It's not used in anything. It is at the end of something that is written in one of the Psalms. And, and people have said that because the Psalms were songs, that it was a director to music, that you were actually supposed to do something here. That there are translations of the Bible that actually don't even have it in there. But anytime it's in there, it's not put in to English. It's always left as Selah. It's always left in there. Where the Hebrew language didn't have uh, the vowels put in there. So there are a couple of different options. You drop different vowels into there, and it could be a couple of different words. But all of them have this significant connotation to there being a break or a division or some kind of a pause. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to look at this word as that there's place, that there's this break, that there's this division. And as I read this, that I see this as, as David is writing this, and we're going to look at Psalm chapter 3, that David basically takes... A mental break. One of the translations to this word selah is to weigh it out. Is I need to think about this. To weigh it out. So let's look at Psalm chapter 3 with this weigh it out moment. So here it is. Psalm chapter 3 verse 1. The Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. David had had a lot of enemies. David was a man of war and he would fight. But no man wants to fight his son. Absalom had risen up and had decided that he needed to be king and he was leading an insurrection. And I don't care what's going on. No man wants to fight his own boy. No man wants to do that. As messed up as Absalom got and as he was, David did not want to have to fight him. So David flees. Mighty warrior King David says, I'm not doing this. This I'm not going to fight my son. I'm going to get out of here. And he flees. And in the middle of this fleeing from his own son, trying to take over the kingdom, he has all this weight on him, and he writes this psalm. He says, O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, There is no salvation for him in God. Selah. This doesn't sound like a lot of hope. This is just him pouring his guts out. Lord, my foes are many. People are rising up against me. And there are those who are saying, I don't even have a hope in you. I just need a break. I just see him writing this psalm out and him pouring out his frustration. And before he lets himself go any further, he just even just puts the word in there. I'm going to weigh on this. Selah. And he drops the pen. And he just stops right there. 
And then he remembers all of the times that he has been pursued and all of the different things. And then he comes back to that same psalm and he grabs the pen after a pause, after a weighing it out, after a thinking about it, after spending some time with not just running his pen and running his mouth. And he comes back and he grabs the pen again and he starts to write again. And he says, but you, O Lord. Are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. <sighs> Salah. I take another break. I'm going to think about this a little more. I'm going to take another little moment. He's, he seems like he's all over the place without the Salah. He seems like he's has. Everything's going crazy. Everything's against me. God, you're my fortress. He looks at, but that break, that salah, that let me think about this. Let me take a pause. Let me weigh this. This is what it looks like. This is what people are saying. But I know who you are. And I know you're faithful. He continues and picks his pen back up again. And he says, I lay down. And slept. And I woke again. This sounds like he's writing it the next morning. His little break that he took. He went ahead and slept on it a little bit. I lay down and I slept and I woke up again. For the Lord sustained me. As dark as it was when I started this psalm last night. And I took my break. And I thought about you being my fortress. And I laid down and I slept. And I woke back up. You sustain me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek and you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. So many times we want to just grab the pen of our lives and we just want to begin to just, we get in a funk and we just, it's just all mess. And we want, and we need to take some breaks. We need to take some pauses. We need to take some Selah moments when things begin to look ugly and we're stuck instead of just hitting the gas and digging it deeper and burying the axle and being extra stuck. Let's take a break. Let's take a break. I am I'm convinced that, uh, that just about every area of stuckness that we get into can benefit from a break. You have relationships stuck. Pause before you speak. Pause. If your relationship is on some skids and it's a little stuck, stop before you speak. Before you text. Before you tweet, before you let it show up on your face, pause, pause. We're still at the first of the year and we can decide maybe we're a little health stuck. Most of us could benefit on health from a pause before we go for seconds. Let's wait. Let's, let's see if we need the second helping. Let's see if we need to do this thing that's not healthy for us. Let's see if we need to put off the gym or the jog or the walk or those different things. Most of us 
could benefit from a pause. Money stuck? Oh my goodness, we could use some pauses on that. Pause before we swipe or before we write that check or before we go ahead and click the buy now on Amazon. Pause. Pause. Our thoughts being stuck. Let's take a pause before we complain. Let's take a pause and let's take some inventory and wait a little minute. Maybe there's an opportunity to to be unstuck sitting right next to us. Maybe there's something right there that we're so fixated on our problem we can't even see the solution that's right there. Our bottom line today is stillness does not equal stuckness. So many times we're afraid to get still when we're stuck because we feel like we're just making it worse. I need to fix it. I need to fix it. Taking a pause, inviting God into the moment is fixing it. See, God loved us enough to meet us right where we are, and he loves us enough to not leave us there. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.